Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. This podcast is funded by listeners like you through Patreon. We want to thank all of our donors. We would not be able to produce this podcast or maintain the free resources like the blog, the videos, the downloadable posters on our website without you. So if you can, please consider supporting us at www.patreon.com slash learning scientists. We post videos each month for those who donate at least $5 or more. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Um, I am so pleased to be here chatting today with Dr. Boris Conrad. Uh, Boris is a memory expert, to say the least. Um, He is an eight-time world memory champion. He has four entries in the Guinness Book of World Records, um, and and he's current president of Memory XL. Um, So I am so pleased to have him here to talk to you guys today about memory techniques and how how um, these memory techniques that are used in world memory championships can actually be leveraged by pretty much anyone, and especially in the world of education, um, that that some of these techniques could could really make a difference in in education. So um, we're going to kind of just walk through today and talk a little bit about what these techniques are that Boris has perfected, and then um, some some information about uh, how they work in the brain and and how they could be useful in education. So. Um, Boris, I'm going to let you take it away. Can you tell us a little bit about um, these techniques and where they come from? These memory techniques are quite ancient. They are all about using your memory in different way. So we do have a really good memory for a lot of things that happen to us, for our experiences, also for location-based information, but not for facts, not for names, not for numbers, and not for a lot of stuff. We have to, for example, learn or even memorize, to use that bad word, for education. These memory techniques enable us to use our memory systems and do really well for these kinds of materials that are hard to learn. And in memory sports, we use them to memorize like nonsense information, thousands of numbers, thousands of playing cards, of random words. But the same techniques can be applied in education. And that's what fascinates me quite a lot. Great. Um, can you talk a little bit about how these techniques actually work? So what's actually happening in the brain when you're using some of these techniques? I love to. So this is what I kind of made my topic of research. When I started using these techniques, I was just a student who wanted to improve his memory. And I was kind of fascinated it worked so well because I was skeptical at the beginning. Like, why did no one tell me that before if it worked so well? And it still turned out to work well. And then I wanted to know why. And there was hardly any research about it. There's one very famous paper from 2003 from a London-based research group, but I wanted to know more. So I was quite happy that I got the opportunity to do my PhD on the brains of memory athletes, so to say. So what we did is we had a number of the best memory athletes in the world come to our lab, put them in the MRI, our brain scanner, so to say, and make some nice images of their brains. But not just like the structure of their brains, so the brains of the memory athletes, you might expect to look different. So these people can do really fascinating things like memorizing thousands of numbers and still they claim they use these techniques, there might be something special about them. But that's not what we found. Their brains are totally normal compared to a match control group. So it's not at all about the hardware, so to say, just about how they use their brains. So what we did next is we looked into the so-called activity at rest. We did the so-called resting state MRI. 
This means you lie in the scanner without any real task. You kind of let your mind wander. And what we do is we still measure activity in the brain. And then you can look at fluctuations. You can see how different parts of the brain work together. And this got really interesting because here we did find quite some differences. So the networks in the memory leads, how they work together in particular memory networks, that did change over time by that training. We didn't know that right away because, well, we looked at the memory leads and found a difference, and that could be anything, right? It could be that they have this predeposition uh, leading to these effects. But when we did a training study, so we just took regular students and gave them a six-week training these mnemonic techniques and had brain scans before and after. We did indeed find their brain networks change towards that of memory leads. And we found the same changes back. And just to name some, like one summarization would be that indeed memory systems that often seem to be in competition even for humans seem to work better, better together with memory leads. So they didn't actually train their brain to change itself but to work differently, to have memory systems that are meant for different kinds of materials now work together to enable these kinds of superior memory performances. And that makes a whole lot of sense, too. Um, one of the things I always talk to my students about is is really, you know, what what you're doing, how you're processing anything in the world is really sort of changing the structures of your brain, kind of the way that we're wired together. So it makes perfect sense that if you practiced doing something differently with your brain for a while, that you're going to wire your brain a little bit differently and maybe more efficiently. Um, so that's really, really interesting. Um, you know, Boris, one of the things that that we hear a lot is that um, a lot of our a lot of the techniques we talk about and the techniques that you're talking about are really for memorization. And a lot of educators are like, you know, I don't want my students to just memorize things and regurgitate it. I want them to be able to use it later on. And um, what would you say to to an educator? Um, how how are these techniques useful um, for ed for an educational world where we're not just interested in rote memorization? What do you think? <laughs> it depends on how sneaky I'm at the moment. What I'm going to answer. <laughs> um, I, I gave <laughs> I gave a whole TEDx talk on on exactly this question. So it was nice. I wasn't invited to give a TEDx talk in the Netherlands and I made it my question like how and why to use memory techniques for education in all kinds of educational settings and of course the premise you named that's totally correct we want people not just to road learn but to understand and to at least comprehend what people are learning and that's totally fair and important and of course memorization techniques do not replace learning I think that's super important and might be the first thing needed to clarify with educators it's not my intention at all to replace other forms of learning with mnemonics. To, to, for example, name that there is one uh, paper I often cite because I like a lot of aspects about it. It's a uh, paper coming from an educational psychologist um, yeah, discussing, arguing if memory techniques are better or worse than, for example, retrieval practice, like the testing effect. And he names so many good things about memory techniques in there and all the advantages, and he still comes up to the question to compare it to retrieval practice which in my opinion is not the right question because these do not compete. They perfectly work together. When I teach students or learn something myself, I will use memory techniques for the initial encoding, for the initial learning. And then of course I'll add retrieval practice, the testing effect, to make it long-term memory. So the memorization techniques, they target encoding, as we call it in the like process of encoding, consolidation retrieval, but the uh, retrieval practice is more like enabling long-term storage. 
So with memory techniques, I can get in way more information in a short period of time, which I still need to rehearse in a smart way to keep it in there. So that's really important. And then um, one aspect I, I find really important is also that people want to understand something. So for example, want to have new ideas even on information. But the same brain networks that are later able to have an idea, to comprehend, to understand, first need to be formed. And their memorization can be a really good way to get there. I can memorize a whole chapter from textbook and in any field really quickly with using memory techniques, with using the method of loci, for example. It doesn't mean I understood it, but it, it means it's in there, so I can think about it. When I now keep on reading, rereading it, or reading related material, I will recognize some of the images I made, because that's what all these memory techniques are about, making images and giving them locations. And by that, enabling my brain to also reach a level of understanding I want to have way quicker than if it first would need to remember or failing to remember what, for example, a specific term or definition even was. So yes, it's not replacing comprehension. Yes, it's just the first step, but these techniques can make it way faster. And this is true for many, many fields, from language learnings. Language learning, where the learning of memorization of words can and should be a really important first step and can be really easy and a lot of fun, which is surprising to students often, if you use memorization techniques. All the way through the sciences, I studied physics and computer science before I went into neuroscience and it helped me such a big deal. Um, through all the more text-based classes you might have where you probably don't want to memorize a whole book word by word, but just memorizing the structure will enable you to remember what you read way better than if you didn't. You know, I really like how you connect that back to the neuroscience because I, I've definitely made the argument before that you have to, to you know, know information before you can start thinking about it. Um, but really connecting that back to the neuroscience and saying, hey, look, this gets those those neural structures even formed to begin with, right? I mean, surely you need to have some neural network associated with, with the material that you're covering before you can even start to expand on it. Uh, that makes so much sense um, and obviously can be applied in a lot of different areas. Um, let me ask you one question. So there's lots of different memory techniques that are used. Um, obviously, you just made reference to like the memory palace, um, for example. Is there one that you find um, works really well for your students that, that you typically um, try to encourage them to use? Do you, do you use the memory palace a lot for material or are there other strategies that um, you, we can sort of direct people to, to consider using? Yes, indeed. The memory palace is the most important technique also in my opinion. In scientific papers, it's often called method of loci or method of Loki, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, and that's what I said, the technique that's quite ancient, goes back uh, centuries. And it's still relevant and useful in, in all aspects of, of learning, in my opinion. So I used it a lot and I still use it in, in a lot of contexts. And this is what I highly recommend students to, for example, start with. When I now say students, I'm thinking of my students, which are often like university level students. But the same is true for any, anyone, let's say, eight or nine years up. I think before that, that might be too early to start with using the technique as a technique. If you are educating younger kids, you might guide them in learning by using location, but you won't be able to really bring it across as a kind of abstract learning technique you superimpose on the actual information you want people to remember at the end. 
But for example, just today I had an hour-long call to, uh, with, this, uh, with the teacher from a secondary school in the Netherlands. He, he took part in one of my courses here uh, in Europe a year ago and was telling me all these successful stories of how he used it and I was really happy to hear that. And they even won some prizes because he had some students write a student, like a high school student level science paper uh, about using some memory techniques for teaching first uh, graders in their school. Um, and we discussed, for example, how to apply it in, in Latin learning, which I think is bigger in, in Europe than in the US, for example. And so you, of course, have different levels. You have single words you have to memorize. And they're like a very simple key word, like the keyword mnemonic might be sufficient to already enhance learning and have people um, enjoy learning a bit more. There's a number of papers over the decades all about the keyword mnemonic in language learning all by itself. But of course, you can go a step further and enrich it by using also the memory palace. Say, for example, have the whole school building and he will take his kids, he's teaching Latin to walk through the school building. And they actually, like he actually prints out QR codes and puts them on different parts of the building. So he uses modern technology in the same way as the ancient memory techniques actually meant to be. So kids will then use devices to scan the QR codes, which will show like comic-like images um, at these yeah, different parts of their school building. Like they have this huge hall where you have the school gatherings. And then for example, at the entrance, if you scan the QR code, you would see like a Roman slave and learn the word servus being Latin for slave. And then all the forms you can uh, have at the end, like the different endings for a word for different, different grammar forms in, in little anecdotes, little stories. So he's in a fantastic way, I totally love it, combining like this mess of Lusa or memory palace technique with modern technology with just simple keywords and brings it all together. And it's a super enriched learning. And of course, all the students will remember that. And there are many aspects to it, just the aspect that it's different. Of course, it's really important. It's just novel. Other teachers are not doing that. They're just sitting on their chair. They get moving. All of this already helps learning. And I guess many educators will know. But using the specific memory palace technique on top is, is really another different level. It's really helping a big deal. So uh, that was a really long answer to the question I could have just answered with, yeah, memory palace. <laughs> so what I really love about what you were just talking about is another thing that we hear from educators a lot is that some of the things like retrieval practice, that it's it's taking tests and students hate that and 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 they hate giving them and writing them and grading them. And um, so you're talking about techniques that are fun. Um, and so we can increase student engagement while increasing um, effectiveness, right? And increasing knowledge retention. Um, so I, that's fantastic. And I love that example of like going around and scanning the QR codes, like physically walking through the building. How much fun is that? I want to take that class. That's exactly. Like um well this has really been great um boris what are you up to these days i'm happy that i can combine research at the university level Um, i'm still based at the donnes institute for brain cognition and behavior which is one of the leading institutes for cognitive neuroscience it's based here in the netherlands in a place called nijmegen at the radbad university and i spent about half of my time the less being a researcher being a postdoc researchers are doing research, helping master students and PhD students with theirs, and also teaching some classes, of course. And the other half of my time, I'm um, traveling, well, not in Corona times, not in COVID-19 times, but otherwise traveling, uh, maybe now more virtually, to give speeches and classes about these techniques, because what you just said um, still is probably what amazes 
me most. That learning can be fun. <laughs> That's the feedback I get all the time, <laughs> how much I bring that across, that learning is, uh, is fun. And of course, I have lots of interactive examples I can do with people. So universities, companies, schools invite me in person or virtually to give speeches. And I enjoy doing that a lot. I just finished writing my third book, which is this time targeting kids directly, eight to 10 year olds. And it's currently with an illustrator making all sorts of cool illustrations with it. So um, combining research and also spreading the word about these techniques and the value they, in my opinion, have also for education is what I combine and what I love doing. And it's the latest addition to my life. Well, a few years already by now. Uh, we also started a family so I can observe learning, not just within uh, myself, but also with my kids by now. We have two kids and my wife is pregnant again and that's a totally whole level uh, added to my life I didn't have before and I highly enjoy. Oh, congratulations and congratulations to your wife as well. That's Thank very, you so much. very exciting. Yeah. When's the new baby due? End of the year. End of the year. Oh, very exciting. Well, um, that also means you have a very, very busy life. So I will not keep you any longer um, today. Uh, but thank you so much for meeting with me today. Um, this has been really fun. And uh, I think our listeners are, are really going to enjoy learning about this. Um, so uh, thank you. You're welcome. And despite being busy, I always love chatting about it, obviously. And if someone's listening who had some questions we didn't cover, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm not too difficult to be found online with my own webpage or on social media. And I'm happy to take your question if you didn't answer it today. Wonderful. Thanks, Boris. This episode is funded by listeners like you. To support our work and gain access to exclusive content, visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash learning scientists.